uh, to the book of Joshua. find ourselves in chapter 8 of Joshua. The Lord has given His people the stronghold of Jericho. And then after an embarrassing defeat, the city of Ai, the people purged the sin of Achan from their midst. And now they have this high ground, the hill country above the Jordan Valley. But before the people can move out in battle, before they can draw the sword again, continue taking the land, they move northward for this important ceremony. When Moses was leading the people in the wilderness... God provided uh, His law, uh, you might say the covenant obligations uh, to His people. Uh, Giving them the law, He tells tells them in Deuteronomy 27 that when they cross cross over the Jordan River, sometime in the future they'd have this ceremony, this worship service that they would need to uh, take part in. And so we're going to read in chapter 8 this morning, the people are carrying out these instructions uh, given from Moses. I think it's just a beautiful link between the Old Testament law uh, and living in the land that, that, that we find so much of in the Old Testament. So all the people move in mass from this camp in Gilgal. It's about 20 miles north uh, in an area surrounding Shechem. Actually, before we read this text, just a little bit of back. Shechem is an important place in uh, the history of redemption. God's great story. It was in this area that Abraham first uh, built an altar to the Lord. To your offspring, I will give this land, God tells Abraham. Uh, Then Abraham's grandson, Jacob, makes um, his first land purchase here at Shechem. So a significant place for the patriarchs. And Shechem itself is tucked between two mountains. Mount Ebal on one side and Mount Gerizim on the other side. And if you were at the top of these mountains, you'd be about two miles apart. But near the bottom, it's only about 500 yards. And so, the, the mountain, the base of these mountains created this natural amphitheater where a voice from one could be heard by voices from the other. So it's here at Mount Ebal, Mount Gerizim, that Israel gathers to do what Moses told them to do. Um, I'm going to ask you to stand um, as I... Uh, read just as the people did on these mountains surrounding Shechem uh, as we read God's Word together. So beginning at verse 30 of Joshua 8. At that time Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the Law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones, upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. There in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native-born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests, who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. This is God's holy word. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are so very grateful 
and undeserving of your word to us. And yet by your infinite mercy and grace, you have chosen to lay before us life and death, blessing and curse. So Lord, we pray that as we come under the authority and power of your word this morning, that you would teach us, that you would work in us by the power of your Holy Spirit to transform us. Not just growing our understanding, but deepening our affection for you, O God, who have delivered us. Lord, we pray that our own desires, the desires of our hearts to walk in obedience to you would only grow through this time we spend in your word. Help us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A local church that I served in North Iowa, they would meet every year, annual meeting in the wintertime, usually mid-January, late January, and one of the first items on the agenda of that meeting was to recite the covenant of the church. There were three short paragraphs, and uh, you know the language of these, of, of, this, of these paragraphs, certainly not without error, not binding on the conscience the way the Bible is, uh, but it was important for this, uh, this people beginning each year to recite who, it, who they were as a church, what they were about, what their mission was. So as we get to the mountains surrounding Shechem here, that's exactly what the people of Israel uh, are doing in obedience to God's command. They hear the law of God read aloud, and they respond with this antiphonal, Amen, reminded of who they are as God's people. And they've, you know, they've just witnessed a very good example of what not to do in the experience of Achan. They've just left the valley of trouble. Now we see them united in obedience to the words of Moses. And that's a good thing. I mean, how many times have we read, just in those few verses, all that Moses commanded? This is a good thing. A major theme. And so the people recognize that life in the land, taking the land, dividing the land, life in the land is done under the authority of of the law of God and obedience to it. This covenant is ever before them. But I wonder why this place? Why in this way? And I want us to take a closer look at the significance of covenant renewal between these two mountains and the picture that God provides for us. What they do here is important for their understanding of life in the land. It's important for our understanding of life in the kingdom of God. So we see both an an unconditional promise that God makes to His people and the conditional aspects uh, of the covenant here. Um, Did you ever build forts as a kid? You don't have to be a kid to build forts. There are many a good fort that have yet to be built. Um, You know, bed sheets and couch cushions, blankets make for good forts. Getting out into the woods cutting down tree limbs, finding a few things from the garage that haven't been used. You ask if you can use it after you build your fort, right? Um, living up north, uh, where the white stuff falls a little bit more than it does here. Uh, I remember building snow forts and digging tunnels you know, into these big mounds of snow. And as a kid, the, the further you would dig under the snow, the more apprehensive I would get because what if this thing collapses? You know, how many days and years am I going to be in this thing before someone finds me. And I remember my friends and I, if we were building a snow fort, oftentimes we'd build a second tunnel so that at least there was a way out in case the main entrance collapsed. A way to return to, uh, to the outside. 
It's on the mountain surrounding Shechem, the top of Mount Ebel, God shows His people that there would always be a way back to Him. He would provide a way for His people to return to Him when they have sinned, when everything caved in around them. It's not a matter of if the people sinned, but, but when and how often. Only God could provide that way of return. Clearly pictured in the building of this altar here. So Joshua takes these stones that no human tool has tinkered with uh, in making this altar. And this was uh, Moses' instruction in Exodus 20. Um, human tools and crafting, that would profane the altar. People are not allowed to walk on steps to make their sacrifice, lest their nakedness, their sin-scarred humanity, be exposed upon the altar. This was a place of sacrifice to the Holy One of Israel. It must be regarded as holy. And that's where they offer burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. And the order of those offerings is very important. The burnt offering for the sins of the people, the cleansing of sin, comes only through sacrifice. And the peace offerings were a pleasing aroma on top of the burnt offering showing that fellowship, peace, restored uh, to God. Often a communal meal that went along with that sacrifice. So the Lord said to His people through these sacrifices, your sin is atoned for and you have renewed fellowship with Me. This is the way of return. No small thing that, that these sacrifices took place on Mount Ebal. It was Mount Ebal where the curses are read. Blessings are read from Mount Gerizim, but the law that exposed the sins of the people was read from Mount Ebal. The same place where the offering for sin is made. So the people could, could cross in the land, take the land, live in the land only by the gracious hand of God. No amount of human exertion, no amount of law keeping could secure their fellowship and peace with God. That comes through sacrifice. The altar on Mount Ebal was a place for sinners, a way back to God. Um, so by, by building this altar, offering sacrifices, again, we see God's heart, His concern for the people. You know, it's what's on the inside, what's at their, their center, their spiritual core. That's what drives everything else. Their movement in the land, their battles, their their civil life and relationships among themselves with those around them would all be done in relationship to God, in obedience to God. They were to be His people first and then live as His people uh, in the land. Important for us to remember, brothers and sisters, we bring nothing. We contribute nothing to our salvation, our way back to God. Our sin is what drives us from Him. And he's made a way back that, that comes only through the altar, the sacrifice for Christ, of Christ once and for all. That's God's grace to us, accepted only by faith. There's a recent study. They're doing these studies often, it seems, through Barna or some other Pew research of evangelical Protestants in the United States. And typically the survey you know, makes a statement and then asks folks whether they agree, yes or no, to the statement. 
And uh, recently a statement was made that went like this, people first seek God, then He responds with grace. And the results of this just continue to astound me. It should astound us, get us thinking a little bit. 71%, 7 out of 10, who claim to believe the Gospel, answered yes to that question. Saying there must be something Something we must contribute apart from God. Some initiative to which God responds. And that belief, that statement, is actually that was ruled as heresy by um, the ecumenical church. The Council of Orange, even, the year 529, upheld the centrality of God's grace in salvation. So let's guard our hearts, guard your minds. The only thing you and I have contributed to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. For all of sin falls short of the glory of God. Read the New Testament. But you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made us alive together with Christ. The sacrifice of Jesus has already been offered. There's nothing you can add to it to make God's grace more abundant or, or, or His love for you more apparent. And a life of joy, a life of satisfaction, a life of hope is found only by the lavish grace of God in Christ. Uh, Tullian Chivijan, uh, he wrote a little book uh, where he simply expounds on this title, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. In Jesus, we are as loved and accepted and approved before God as we ever will be. You know what that means? That means we can stop trying to find love and approval and acceptance from a spouse, our children, our work, our efforts in school, our friends, our bank accounts. We're richer than we could ever imagine. More competent than we could ever imagine in Christ. Through Christ. This is where the rubber really really meets the road in the Christian life. The real work of the Christian, our growing in godliness as disciples, does not come from trying to get more of things we don't have. Or we, or we don't have much of. We say, okay, I've accepted Jesus. He's my Savior and Lord. Now I just need more patience. I need more love. I need more wisdom. I need more strength. I need more joy. Working to to get more of these traits and things we don't have. That, that's not how we grow as disciples. Tulian, the pastor I mentioned earlier, he talks about this in his uh, reflection on Colossians 3. I think it's really sound. It just help explain this a little bit. He says, Christian growth happens by working hard to swim in the reality of what we do have. Believing and resting again and again in the gospel of God's free, justifying grace, that is the hard work that we're called to do. Counterintuitive for us in our sin, because we're always trying to justify ourselves. But if we're to grow in Christ as a people, as a church, we need to give up the self justification, resting in the finished work of Christ, and our union with Him makes that possible. We hear in Ephesians 1, God blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He's done this before you were ever around. Before I was ever around. 
This is the grace of God from, from beginning to end. Not dependent, not conditioned. We're dead. Rather, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now alive in Christ. Gage Jordan preached on this new identity just a few weeks ago. The grace that initiates salvation is the grace that completes it. This is the unconditional promise of God. When we come to Him through the sacrifice of Jesus on the altar for us, we will be received, restored. We will remain to the praise of His glorious grace. God's grace, the very heart of the Gospel. That's right here in the offerings at Mount Ebal. As we follow God's plan of redemption, we, we see that sacrificial system of the Old Covenant give way uh, to the New. Offerings on the altar completed in the offering of Christ. Through Him we have atonement and peace with our God. Here's the author of Hebrews. He tells us in chapter 9, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So Mount Ebal, at Mount Ebal, God shows us the way of return. He provides this for us in Jesus. So it's out of this sacrifice, this unconditional promise in Christ, that we live and we obey the conditional aspects of the covenant so for Moses' instructions, Deuteronomy 27, it would appear that there were two piles of stones set up at Shechem. One is the altar, and the other is a pile of stones that are covered in this plaster type of solution that could be written on. So Joshua copies the law of Moses. We don't know how much of the law, though we do know they could fit a lot in a, uh, in a small amount of space. And he reads this law to the people. I can remember uh, coming back to Michigan from Colorado Springs uh, to see Katie. We were engaged uh, by that time. And because I was there and her siblings were there, we all went out for supper together along with her parents. And after the meal, her parents, uh, they had a, a copy of their wedding vows. And they had a, a nice copy with places at the bottom for signatures. And so they, um, they recited these vows to one another, and then they had each of the children sign the bottom as witnesses. And they even had me sign. We weren't married yet, but they were confident enough that they had me sign the bottom of this um, certificate. It was important to them. It was central to their relationship. And when they got home, they hung this at a prominent place uh, in their house. For the people of Israel, this was another copy, a new copy of what was central to them. Just think of the logistics behind this. You're talking all of Israel, men, women, and children, divided, divided into tribes, half on one side, half on the other, standing to hear God's Word read. I mean, how serious do you have to take God's Word? How important was copying and hearing uh, the law of God? Did you have a hard time getting to church this morning to come under the Word of God? Is it a struggle to crack your Bible each day, even most days. Maybe this is an encouragement to us. Maybe a little admonishment to elevate the Word of God. To view God's Word and treat it as central in our lives. It was true for King David, the man after God's own heart. 
Take a read through Psalm 119 and tell me if the Word was not central to his heart and life. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your Word. I've hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Life in the land, given by the grace of God, but the people have a responsibility, a way to live in response to this unconditional promise. Obedience to the law incurred either the, the blessing and favor of God, while disobedience brings disfavor, removal of God's blessing. Not the removal of His grace or way back to Him. That's unconditional. But a life of blessing and flourishing in the land required obedience. Conditional promises of the covenant. I want to read just a few verses from Deuteronomy 27 and 28 just to give you a taste of this. Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of a craftsman and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. Now later the blessings, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way, and flee before you seven ways. So the source of life and blessing in the land found in obedience to God's Word. Now notice, you pick up here, this wasn't just for the people of Israel, the men, women, children of Israel. This is for everybody. The newcomer, the foreigner who would align with Israel, living among them, maybe just traveling through the area at the time. They too would hear the blessing and the curses of God's law. And even though they may not have understood what it was all about, they could clearly see that the Lord had given this, had set this people apart, high above all nations of the earth. So this was the way, of, uh, way to life, the way of blessing in the plan. The people all stood united saying, Amen, to the conditions of this covenant. I think just how important this is, how absolutely critical uh, to life in the church, to stand united under the authority of God's Word, holding out the words of life, embodying what it looks like to live in obedience to God. The world is always watching. The newcomer, the sojourner, is always in our midst. I think of this being more important now in our society and in discussions surrounding sexuality and gender identity and and marriage, you almost feel like a broken record at times uh, in the church. But it's everywhere you turn, being catechized by this at all times. It's almost become the, the moral, social default issue. Perhaps even more than racial injustice or the sanctioned murder that is abortion. 
fact, I think views on, on racial justice, on abortion, that they're top level products of a much deeper confusion and idolatry. This, the autonomy of self. The sensuality that fuels this. Black Lives Matter, it's hardly about black lives. This is an ideology cloaked with language of injustice and rights that seeks to sever itself from the goodness of God's law and any responsibility to fellow men. You know, when the highest court in the land concludes that same-sex marriage is a constitutional right, which we're, we're years past that now, that will not only redefine marriage, it will redefine sex and what it is and why it's important. And so that slippery slope has no end. We're just seeing that snowball get bigger and bigger as it rolls down the hill. And bear in mind, that it is not the responsibility of the states or the federal government to determine these things. Their responsibility is to protect the best interest of men, women, and children. The government is not God. But when it's made up of people who believe that they are, then decisions of governing authorities will fly in the face of truth and reality according to God's design. The government, the courts, are to recognize what God has established for the good and flourishing of men, women, husbands, wives, moms, you know, children. Fight for that. Hold its citizens accountable and responsible for the promises that they make. Um, I mean, the, the push of an ideology of which the sexual revolution is just, just a product of this. Out, it's out to rewrite the books, to grab power by whatever means necessary, silence any opposing view. So how do we respond to that? How do we respond as Christians, as a church? Do we hide ourselves away in a little commune? Or block everything out? Cower in fear? No, no, that's not our response. We pump our fists, pound in anger. Very easy to do on social media, by the way. No, that's not our response. We pray and hold out the words of life. We stand in the promises of God, the promises of, of blessing and curse, and we prepare ourselves to, to speak on sexuality and marriage and gender and race, what it is, why it matters in God's created order. Our God is on the throne. He is all truth. Truth will prevail always, always, always. We must embody this as the people of God and God's providence and, and mercy as we see a growing number who are confused and disappointed and abused and broken, longing for something more. Something grounded in the reality of God's design for humanity. So we must be there to, to model and shine the light of truth to what has never gone away. So the unity of the people, intimacy with God in this place, uh, surrounding Shechem. Again, it moves us to the intimacy with Christ under the new covenant. We live under the law of Christ. The law of love. Think of what Jesus teaches on another mountain. In Matthew 5-7. through seven. He says that blessing comes to those who, who know their hearts before God. Rest in the righteousness of Christ. Obedience to the law does not merit the favor of God. It rejoices in the favor of God. 
So is that our motivation? Are we doers of God's word and obedience to the covenant because we love Him? We must be doers of the word, James tells us, but only in Christ. We have the power to obey in a way that brings blessing. Um, many years later, the Samaritans would live in this area surrounding Shechem. They would build an altar to the Lord. And it, wasn't, it wasn't a place of worship in Jerusalem. It wasn't Mount Ebal, but they built an altar on Mount Gerizim. Gerizim, remember, where the, where the blessings were read. Seems a fitting place. Who wants to climb a mountain where you know, curses and judgment for sin are exposed? I think, I think that's where we tend to go. We tend to gravitate toward Mount Gerizim and the promises of blessing. We like that. If we can do something that brings God's blessing, we'll sign us up. But we don't want to hear those things that can or might bring judgment. The Samaritan woman who spoke to Jesus in John chapter 4, she's thinking along these lines. Jesus, I can see that you're a, a smart guy and that you Jews expect us to to worship in Jerusalem, but our fathers worshipped on this mountain. She pointed at Gerizim. You remember how Jesus responds? It's not that mountain. It's not even the temple in Jerusalem. Okay? It's me. I am the anointed one that you say is coming. And my sacrifice, which was foreshadowed on Mount Ebal, not Gerizim, will bring the two worshippers to the Father. Our way back to God is not through the blessing of law-keeping, not Gerizim, but through sacrifice, pictured on Mount Ebal and accomplished in Christ. So the people obeyed all that Moses had commanded them. I just want to close with these words from Moses. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death Blessing and curse, therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live. Loving the Lord your God, obeying His voice, and holding fast to Him. Let's pray together. Lord God, may this be the desire of our hearts. Work this truth into our lives that we too would hold fast to You in obedience to Your Word. Lord, we don't stand a chance. We could never do this on our own. But enabled through the righteousness of Christ. Our righteousness. The Lord Jesus who is our life. Oh, we rejoice and now we want to obey Your Word to us. Oh God, we are grateful for Your grace. The sacrifice has been made not on a mountain long ago, but on a cross for us our sins atone for, that we might have peace with You, our God, both now and forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.